AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. This is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. You know, Julie, I was thinking about hobos earlier. Of course you are. And of course, the great thing about hobos, as we you know, think of the classic, you know, uh, Great Depression era uh, wanderer with his uh, bindle stick and his handkerchief. his handkerchief and his weird codes and... Uh, you know, it's like they would uh, they would ride the rails. They would get from one from point A to point B by an accepted highway that existed between those, which was typically the rails. Right. Right. So, um, and and you know, for the hobo, he's not really having to expend. He's kind of a a lazy individual, or at least he does. He has uh, he has found value in other aspects of life that don't revolve around rigorous labor. That's right. So he will ride the rails and let the rails do all the work for him. As he plays cards. Yeah. Or whatever. So I was thinking, like, what if a hobo, uh, a galactic hobo, uh, as it were, needed to get from here to Proxima Centauri, which is the uh, the closest star to our own? You do realize that we are equating astronauts with hobos. Yes. And that's perfectly fine. Yes. Yes. I just uh, want to state that. That's that's spot on. Right. I wish I had the Internet here. I would do a search and see who was the first uh, hobo astronaut, if we've had one. Um or, or, you know, and if we haven't, we need to see about fulfilling that, if there are any hobos left. Right. Yeah. 
So uh, Proxima Centauri, like I say, closest star to our own, which means it's an insane distance away. Um, to put that in a, little, in a little scale, it is 271,000 astronomical units, or AUs, away. Wow. All right. All right. Now, don't let that number throw anybody off. 271,000 AUs. I'm there with you. Okay. One AU, a single astronomical unit, is the distance between Earth and the sun. Okay? So it's that distance laid out 271,000 times. All right? So let's put all that in, in, in even another frame of reference here, okay? All right, this is a classic analogy, and I got this off of uh, off of a NASA website. Uh, if the sun were the size of a typical half-inch diameter marble, okay, the distance from the sun to the earth, uh, again, an astronomical unit, would be about four feet. The earth would barely uh, would be barely thicker than a sheet of paper, and the orbit of the moon would be about one-fourth an inch in diameter. And on this scale, the closest star, Proxima Centauri, would be about 210 miles away. So that's about the distance between Cleveland and Cincinnati. Wow. Yeah. So we're, we're talking a massive distance here. Yeah, yeah. And there are no trains uh, traversing that distance. Uh, so how would one get to that destination? Wow. I mean, you pose a, a pretty lofty yeah. question there. I mean, we're talking about uh, 25 trillion miles away. Right. Okay, so it's definitely not going to be a day trip. Right, not a day trip. Okay, what's what's the farthest we've ever gone? Well, the Voyager hmm. probe, uh, probe. Well, that's have, true. Have reached this, the, the farthest distance a man-made object has gone. So we're talking a, a colossal journey. Okay, uh, a, a pretty much, um, for all intents and purposes, kind of an impossible one at this point. I mean, we could, we, as we'll get into, we could do it, but we'd we have to have it. a phenomenal amount of will and, uh, and energy. Yeah, and we'd have to maybe not be so into the idea of the hobo still being alive when he reached Proxima Centauri. Right, right. Um, so it, it comes down to energy, right? Right, and, I mean, it com- and it comes down to what's already making that trip. And I think, uh, as the as the title of the, the podcast should spoil, um, light is the is the railway that, uh, uh, that one might traverse. That's right. Yeah, those wily little photons. Yes. So uh, the idea of using a solar sail, and you know, it's it's a pretty basic concept. It, and it's exactly how you might think of it. You know, it's like you put up a sail on a ship mm-hmm. and you catch the breeze and you ride the you ride the wind across a lake, say. Well, the solar sail concept is pretty much the same thing. There's like a, a breeze of light. You put up the sail, the the uh, it'll catch the breeze and push the object, push the sail. I mean, at first glance, it really does seem kind of whimsical, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it I seems. Mean, yeah, it sounds like it's a delightful. You know, it sounds like something from some sort of like French animated film, or, right. you know, something on a fantastic planet. And indeed, you you do see these these designs show up like unrealistically in, in things from time to time. Uh, like I think there's one in Tron. I think. That second uh, Star Wars prequel has some sort of a solar sail thing. Yeah. Like, and, uh, and so, so it's easy to sort of dismiss it as just as being like sailing ships in outer space kind of a deal. Uh, but uh, but the idea has been around for a while. Um, uh, the astronomer Johannes Kepler, who we recently talked about in another podcast, that's right. Um, he uh, actually can, is, is perhaps the earliest to come up with the concept uh, back in the 16th century, and he noticed that comet tails always point away from the sun implying that sunlight itself is pushing them around like cosmic wind socks, right? Right. So uh, he thought that you could just sim- simply, uh, you know, get like a ship with a sail, and, you know, if it was properly put together, you could sail around out there, which, uh, which again, that's kind of, that sounds kind of fantastic, but it was really on the right track. Okay, so his hunch was right. Yeah. I do have to point out that he also thought that comets were formed of fatty globules in the ether. 
So well, it's you, one for two. Well, but you, you can't get everything right. Okay? I know, I know. You're, you're really asking right. a lot. A lot of limitations back yeah. then, too. Um, but, uh, but, but just to, to run down exactly how this is working. All right, scientists now know, um, with the, you know, the advent of all the things we've learned since the 16th century, that sunlight is a little more than a stream of photons, tiny particles of light. And they don't possess mass, but they do boast linear momentum. Right. And they're the, they're the smallest quantum of light. Right. right? Okay. Yeah. And when they bounce off of a reflective surface, they push against that surface. There's actually a push. So just, you know, you know, just look at anything. Like I'm looking right now at a, um, at a lamp and a, uh, canister of, uh, tissue paper. You know, and yeah. and it, granted that the tissue paper is not crawling across the the desk pushed by the light. No, it's but not. there, but even though it's not visible to the naked eye, there is, um, there is a, a certain amount of momentum to that light. Yeah, and if that tissue were, and tissue box, I should say, were super light and it was reflective, then mm-hmm. we'd see more momentum, right? Right, and if it were in outer, you know, in uh, you know, free of the confines of Earth's gravity, then we start, you know, opening up the rules a little bit. Right. So, um. It, after Kepler had, was long dead, uh, 1873, you had uh, James Clerk Maxwell, and he uh, first demonstrated that sunlight exerts that, a small amount of pressure on photons. In 1960, we launched a little something called Echo 1 uh, and observed uh, the sun pushing it around. Echo 1 uh, and I believe Echo 2 were both pretty awesome because they were basically super balloons. They, mm-hmm. were, they rose up to an altitude of a, of a thousand miles. And, uh, you know, we're actually space balloons in a very real sense of the word. Uh, and they look kind of like giant, uh, giant, they're huge, uh, spheres. They kind mm-hmm. of look like giant Christmas tree ornaments. Okay. Just a very thin, uh, you know, layer of, uh, reflective surface with, uh, with, uh, you know, a gas. Yeah, inside. I can't help but think of hot air balloons without the bucket. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so in this case, they observed the, uh, the sun actually pushing on it. So the, the basics behind that then is that you've got a reflective surface. Mm-hmm. You've got light. Right. And like you said, you're, you're, uh. Well, not just this reflective, a highly reflective. Highly surface, reflective. Yeah. In- like a sheet of metal or a plastic coated with metal. Okay. And, uh, and then it's reflecting the light. Okay. Yeah. And so the sails that we have right now, they're thin sheets of metal, like you said, and they've got the plastic substrate in between. And then, uh, the reflective film faces the sun. Right. Is that right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And it seems, again, it seems really whimsical to think that this might be something that could power us to Alpha Centauri. Yeah. It it, it 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 sounds far fetched, but uh, but actually, uh, the more you look at it, the more uh, realistic it is. We've actually um, I, I was ta- actually talked about this uh, subject with uh, Dr. Gregory uh, L. Matloff, who uh, is uh, you can look him up on- online. He's a pretty uh, brilliant dude and uh, just can talk about sail- solar sails at the drop of a hat mm-hmm. and just tell you all about them. So uh, the things that I get right in this podcast, I attribute to him, and the uh, any errors I make are purely my own doing. Um, but uh, uh, Mariner 10 is an example of a uh, probe that we sent out that it was not in its in, in and of itself a solar sail. Right. But it had uh, solar cells on it. It had uh, it was gaining some energy from the sun because it was on a on a uh, mission uh, around Mercury. Right. Where there's lots of solar uh, energy due to the proximity of, of Mercury to the sun. OK. So uh, they were running low on the on gas to power its uh, you know corrective boosters. So they were able to uh, use its uh, solar cells as, a, as an impromptu solar sail uh, to maneuver it a little, and they they had some success with that. And uh, and so since that point, we've had a number of other um, experiments. Uh, the U.S. especially had a habit of like putting a lot of work and thought into them, and then not doing anything with it. 
Uh, right. It was yeah. usually because the funding dried up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like uh, in the 70s, Dr. Lewis uh, uh, Friedman wanted to uh, send a, a, a probe out to Halley's Comet, and they were going to use uh, solar sails for the rendezvous, but that was scrapped. Uh, the Russian Space Agency uh, had the whole uh, uh, spinning space mirror program, uh, the Zanmaya 1 and 2, and, uh, and possibly 3. I'm not sure if 3 actually came to fruition, but uh, but the whole idea was they were going to reflect sunlight uh uh, back to the Earth, so mm-hmm. that they could uh, give sunlight to some of the, you know, the far northern regions that uh, were pretty short on it during the uh, winter. Right. And uh, and at any rate, that was able to successfully demonstrate some of those uh, those properties of the solar sail, even though those those projects were far from, you know, tremendously successful. And um, but though, uh, just as a side note, they were uh, apparently designed to the point where they could uh, provide luminosity between five and ten times a full moon. So wow, know, okay, you know. Um, uh, India's uh, INSAT 2A and 3A communications uh, satellites uh, in uh, 1992 and 2003, uh, they were, uh, uh, there was like a four-panel solar array on one side, and they uh, were able to use some uh, aspects of solar sail technology to, to uh, maneuver it. And, uh, of course, uh, then the Japanese finally beat us to the punch yeah. on getting, uh, you know, it's like we were just... As know, the years get up, right, we, yeah. we sort of see this as a trend that... Yeah, they were left a little bit in the dust. They were able to launch this uh, wonderful little device called uh, Icaros. And uh, it's, uh, I, I say little, but uh, it had, uh, it's uh, basically a huge square, some 20 uh, meters uh, in a diagonal line. Uh, and it's as thin as like 0. 0.0075 millimeters, and it's made from a uh, uh, polymede uh, uh, resin. Right, it's called the Space Yacht, right? Just to give yeah. you an idea of how big it is. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the headlines really loved using that Space Yacht thing too. But it's yeah. pretty cool because it would, uh, it would, uh, it was like, it would be, it was like this, uh, this central hub that would rotate and then the, uh, the sails would, uh, would come, would spread out on all sides around it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And yeah. it was, um, it was, they used a rocket to get it up there, right? Right. Okay. Right. And then yeah. it unfurled. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's been pretty successful so far. Um, there, and we're still keeping eyes on it to see how it's gonna, how it's gonna do in the, uh, the near future. But, uh, the spacecraft itself was launched, uh, May 20th, 2010. Uh, and, uh, with the whole idea that it was going to spend a six month uh, trip traveling to Venus and then it was going to be in a three year journey to the far side of the sun. So, uh, uh, it's the world's first solar powered sailcraft employing both, uh, photon propulsion and, uh, thin film solar power generation. So it's, it's, uh, it's getting some energy from the sun right. for its, uh, for its, uh, it's for some, some, for some of its thrust, but then it's also using solar sails. Okay. And they're able to manipulate that. Yeah. 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 But the, the, the really cool thing is, you know, no fuel. It's all based on, on the sun. Some right. of its solar sails, some of its solar cells, uh, to, to power these, uh, these little thrusters. And, uh, then there's, of course, NASA's NanoSail D. That's right. Which um, is currently, as of this recording, uh, NASA has lost contact with it. Um, it was, uh, you know, recently launched uh, just in the past month, and uh, it is a, it's what's called a nano satellite or a CubeSat, and it's merely designed. It's it's one of several different experiments that were launched, and it's uh, up there just to test the potential for solar sails in atmospheric braking, and that's when you have an interplanetary vehicle. And you send it, say, to Mars, and right. you want it to slow down when it gets to Mars. Right. It was also ejected from another satellite, right? Which right. is kind of a cool way to get multiple satellites up there orbiting at the same time. Yeah. It's like, let's get a satellite up there, load it, uh, with some nano satellites, each one, like, testing some particular, uh, technology. Yeah. And so in this case, this one tested, uh, tested, uh, uh solar sails. But, uh, you know, so keep your fingers crossed. Right yeah. now, it's not looking too hot for it, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just part of the curse with, with U.S. <laughs> solar sail technology. Break um, the curse, nano cell D. <laughs> okay, so 
it, it's uh, worth wondering just how fast are these things going? Right. Because again, I'm looking at the uh, the Kleenex box; it's not moving. So it's you know, just looking at that, uh, it's it's hard to you. It's to, not. Yeah, it's not moving. Yeah. <laughs> to me, uh, but it's hard to look at that and then imagine, oh, the sun pushing, uh, you know, these uh, satellites or even a spaceship with a hobo inside it. Like, you know, how is that going to reach any amount of speed? But you'd actually be surprised. All right. Um, if you uh, if you were to reduce the the mass of uh, of one of these uh, devices significantly, you mm-hmm. could uh, see it eventually traveling at about like fifty six uh, miles per second. Okay. Uh, which, which is, is like, crazy. Yeah, like that's basically like two hundred thousand miles per hour. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, ten times faster than the space shuttle's orbital speed of five five miles per second, and uh, and it would be like uh, traveling from New York to Los Angeles in less than a minute. Um, if NASA were to launch an interstellar probe powered by solar sails, it would take only eight years for it to catch Voyager One spacecraft, huh. uh, which is uh, which has been traveling for twenty years and is the most distant spacecraft from Earth, like we mentioned earlier. So the the speed can really pick up, um, and and the the key with it with any kind of interstellar voyage because uh, it, it, again, is is you want to start as close to the sun as possible. Okay, it's kind of like imagine that you have a uh, a fan in a room, like an electric fan. And a paper airplane, and you want to use the the power of that fan to sail that paper airplane across this big room. You want to start it as close to that fan as possible mm-hmm. to get the, the biggest immediate From, push. Yeah, to get yeah. the most momentum. And so, is the idea too that the the greater the distance, the the greater the velocity? Yes, it's going to go a lot faster. Yeah, and and, and you want to have as light of materials as possible, right. you know, as reflective as possible. So, um, you know, I was talking to Matloff, and he said, yeah, if you had uh, using you know sort of current technology. You would uh, you'd get this thing close to uh, the sun as possible, probably within the orbit of Mercury, and uh, get it in position, and then you unfurl those sails, right? It starts, and then all that reflection starts taking place, right? And uh, you could it could probably reach two hundred astronomical units in something like fifteen years, ten or fifteen years. Okay, that that kind of uh, uh, that kind of field. So if you were putting a hobo on that. I don't know how. Forget about how much a hobo weighs. Let's just you know, for just to just to jazz it up, we'll say a hobo's aboard, even if it's like a nano hobo. Right. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Which and you're going to launch be him present to, in the future. By yes. The way. Yeah. yeah. That's it's coming. They're going to be made out of nanotubes. Yeah. Um, you were going to launch him from Mercury uh, towards Proxima Centauri. Uh, you would probably it would probably take seven thousand years for him to reach it. Based, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, again, that sounds really really slow. It is a colossal distance. Um, I mean, at that point, you'd need a generation ship, right? So that right. the hobo could make other little hobos that in yeah. 8,000 years. Or your hobo has to be purely mechanical or even a program. Yeah. Uh, like one of the really cool things about nanotechnology is uh, when you start looking at the possibilities of deep space probes, they don't have to be as big as a room, mm-hmm. right? Uh, as the technology improves, we conceivably make smaller and smaller uh, probes capable of, of, you know, of going out there and, and relaying a message or, or even, you know, uh, carrying uh, sensory equipment. Right. Again, um, how carbon nanotubes are changing our life. Exactly. And in fact, uh, uh, that was one thing Matt Loft touched, touched on too. It's like if, as this, uh, improves and we're able to make, say, a 50 nanometer, uh, you know, thick sail, uh, if you built it in space, you know, and you could probably, uh, make an interstellar voyage in as little as 2,000 years. And go, uh, in, in, and so the lighter you go, uh, and you, you could go even faster. One, one possibility too would be to have the, have like holes in your sail mm-hmm. if it perforated, cause you'd still, you know, cover a, a huge space, still reflective, but taking up less mass. Okay. So it's just a game of like cutting down how much space they take. How, up. how small can you get? Yeah. In order and to go it, as yeah. fast as you can. Yeah. And just, you know, huge sails as well. 
Right. Well, yes, I guess small meaning weight. Yeah. And so uh, Matloff also uh, said that, you know, as we get into these carbon nanotubes and and um, and graphenes and, and all these uh, type of futuristic uh, um, materials, uh, he thinks we'll do a lot better than t- uh, than 2,000 years. He, you know, he thinks we may even get, you know, below 1,000 years. Uh, and he says he has his doubts when we get into talking about like a couple of hundred years. So... It would still take with the, our current technology. No, no, this would be with 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 forthcoming nanotechnology. Okay, we would. He, he and this is just talking about you know getting into the, within the orbit of Mercury. Okay. and slingshotting it out on that beam of light. Okay, all right. I mean, but we're using some current technology to sort of. Yeah, current technology. You're looking at a seven thousand okay. year trip. All right, but with uh, conceivable, more or less near future technology, you could get it down to. A thousand years, maybe a number of centuries. Okay, so some of the technology we have right now, it's just a matter of decreasing it right. to the size that we need it to be. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to the. I had to get that right in my head. Yeah. So let's get back to that uh, that uh, paper airplane in the room with the electric fan. Let's say you're shooting it off and it's not making it all the way. What's one thing you can do to increase uh, the chances of delivering that paper airplane to the far side of the room? I can um, harness it with nuclear arm hits. No. You know? No. No, no, <laughs> no. But uh, but what you can do is say you got a different fan, yeah, a more powerful fan, right? Yeah. So we can't really replace the sun, right? Right. Um, I mean, not with any kind of conceivable technology. If we could reach the point where we could replace the sun, we wouldn't be trying to figure out how to travel to the far side of the galaxy because exactly. we'd probably be doing it every day. So, uh, but one thing we can do is we can concentrate those particles. Um, by use of a laser or a particle accelerator. Okay. Because uh, these are basically just concentrated um, uh, photons. Right. Okay. So we know the photons have momentum. So if we did have giant lasers, then you would have so much more energy to concentrate. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Okay. You could have a solar pumped laser, which is basically a laser that's feeding off uh, solar energy that's absorbed. Okay. Okay. So the idea here is... You would point, you'd, if you've got one of these just crazy advanced lasers, you could point it in the direction that you want to solar sail. Okay. It, you know, kind of like laying a train track. Uh, point it in the direction of, say, Proxima Centauri. And then you just, uh, you know, you coast that uh, solar sail craft into the stream and then whammo, it just takes off. It's like, uh, like grabbing hold of, uh, you know, being on a skateboard and grabbing hold of a passing vehicle. You know, okay. And suddenly you're, you're, you're off it. So you have a couple things. At work, you, you've got the, acceler- the added acceleration of the beam, right? Mm-hmm. And then you've got the fact that the, the greater the distance to travel, the, the faster you're going. So two of those, those forces working on it? Yeah, provided you built a large enough laser, a large enough sail, and a light enough spacecraft, and, you know, had a light enough hobo in it, um, uh, you could conceivably, according to Matloff, uh, according to his uh, estimations, uh, with this higher velocity, you could conceivably deliver that uh, ship to another, to the nearest star, to Proxima Centauri, within a human lifetime. Whoa. Okay, so that's how we get to see it in this lifetime. Well, I don't, well, not, this, not lifetime. this lifetime, but within the that's space. That's how, of the our, our, yeah, our uh, forebearers will. <laughs> this presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. So yes, future generations of hobo could conceivably do this. Right. Uh, now you get into questions of like of energy um, costs for that laser, right? Because uh, I think some of the estimates are looking at like all the power generated on the Earth would have to go into that laser. Um, and then some, right? Yeah, and, and then some. Yeah. So 
There you go. That's, yeah. that's a bit of a logistics problem. Uh, not to mention you're pointing a laser at like a distant point in the galaxy. Like, you know, you, you've got to sort of think, is that, what if there's somebody over there? And they're like, whoa, they're firing a laser at us. And then they're, <laughs> are they going to overreact and fire a laser back at us? Yeah. You know, we, we think we're just laying some train track, but we're actually, uh, firing the first shot in Earth's, uh, first and last, uh, galactic war. That would kind of suck. That would suck. Now, another cool idea is to uh, send off a slow-moving vessel, and uh, and have uh, and and use lasers as a uh, form of transport between uh, us and that vessel. Okay, yeah. explain more. Uh, okay, so it, it, again, it's like like uh, you send off a slow-moving, uh, maybe unmanned vessel. Okay. All right. Uh, just powered by more conventional, uh, you know, systems, kind of like these generation ships you hear, you know, talk to talk about in sci-fi and right. cosmology, <laughs> where it's traveling such a vast distance that you would have generations live and die aboard it. Mm-hmm. Well, instead of that, you just uh, you sort of keep it tethered by this this laser, or you maybe you don't have the laser fired up at all times, but whenever you need to, you know where it is, you know where you are, you are uh, able to uh, fire up the laser and use solar sail technology to travel between the two. Okay. Yeah. So that's another possible uh, use uh, for for some of this, uh, and and uh, but going back to just sort of non-laser uh, solar sail technology, there are a number of cool possibilities here involving, say, using the solar sail to send cargo ahead of, say, a trip to Mars. Right. Um, there have been some uh, some cool studies into how we could use it to um, to mitigate uh, a near Earth object that's uh, getting a little too close to our planet. Okay, so yeah. if there was an asteroid coming at us, yeah, then we could uh, like some some uh, uh, plans involve like actually putting a solar sail on it, mm-hmm. and then it catches the light and it steers it away, nudges it out of the way. Okay, um, and uh, and then there's some where it's like it's like there's like a satellite beaming, uh, putting a beam of light on the uh, the asteroid and okay. kind of pushing it with light. Yeah, and then there are, there are also plans where you just like uh, splash it with white paint. Yeah, and it it itself reflects and then moves, right? right? So, and I thought that was interesting because I was reading a little bit about it and said something about how it would be really hard to sort of tether an asteroid because it's rotating, it's maybe tumbling, so you'd really have to get a system of gimbals Mm -hmm. to anchor it. You know, you know, get your solar cell anchored to the the surface of it. But we have we have successfully landed vessels, uh, you know, before, so it's not you know completely. Crazy, but, right. but but still, it's uh, better than the nuclear option, right? Yes, of, yes, of shooting definitely. down an and, asteroid and turning it into a giant uh, shotgun blast, uh, still headed for the Earth, right? Um, and then another really cool thing, like we talked about uh, with with uh, Icarus, you know, it has it doesn't need fuel; it has uh, it's all sun- sunlight. So this is a tremendous opportunity for, uh, uh, for instance, uh, there's some uh, some plans to you know put out some sort of a probe to keep an eye on solar flares, so we'll have advanced warning right. of dangerous radiation levels headed to the Earth. You put a you put a you know more of a traditional satellite out there in a uh, a high solar area. Um, you're going to need uh, fuel so that it can correct itself with uh, with with its uh, with its thrusters mm-hmm. to uh, maintain its position. But if you could if you could have all of that solar base, then there's you know there's no need to worry about how much fuel it has. Uh, it's just um, you know for for all intents and purposes, it's self sufficient. Okay, so I mean, it sounds to me like it's just a in in the very short term, there's a easy way to collect more data. Yeah. Um, in, in a more efficient way. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's basically just really, it's, the thing that really amazes me about it is that it's just kind of like a really common sense idea. Mm-hmm. Now it's not, a, it's, it's, it's common sense of the idea as needless to say is, you know, we, we need to work out the engineering to, to make it to work, to really perfect it. Right. Um, you know, and we need to not lose contact with the, the satellites that are testing it. 
but uh, but it's but still, you talk to talk to guys like Matt Loff and, and other experts, and they're they're really you know they really believe in this technology, and they really see it as as playing is playing a, a role in our cosmic future. So. Uh, yeah, and I think a lot of people will say, well, what, that's crazy to, you know, why would you spend the energy and, and the money to create this technology to go to Alpha Centauri mm-hmm. or Proxima Centauri, uh, whichever you prefer. Uh, but I mean, if you think about it, that, that purportedly would have planets, Alpha Centauri, that would be Earth-like. At least that's what we think. And so if we ever had the... Or at least other systems. I'm not so sure. I'm not sure what uh, the outlook is on. I think that the suspicion is that they might have sort of like rocky um, planets like Earth. And so the suspicion is, okay, let's let's go out there and have this opportunity to observe planets if we could and Mm -hmm. the suns if we could and and take that data back home and, and even use it to get a better understanding of our own planet. Like yeah. I think that sometimes people think there's too much of a disconnect between space and Earth, mm-hmm. and the fact of the matter is that that's if you never tried to find out anything about space, it would be like never leaving your house your entire life, yeah. you know, being born inside this one house and dying inside this one house, and you would never have a full understanding of your life if you didn't have other things to compare it to and to get a perspective on. Yeah. So that's why I think it's so fascinating that this technology. Is, exists right now and, and how far it can get us in the future. Yeah. And just in terms of, uh, of, of practicality too, um, uh, when it comes to deflecting potentially dangerous, potentially uh, like extinction level near Earth asteroids. Yeah. Like we've never, we've never done that before. We've never had to do it. But should we ever do that? That'll be the one time in human history that humans have ever done anything to save the planet in a very literal sense. <laughs> right. Like you watch you watch big uh, dumb summer action films, it's like people save the, the the world every week, you know? Every comic book hero that's ever existed has saved the world at least once. Right. But in reality we've never done that. This is the one realistic chance we ever have at saving the planet. Uh, I mean aside from the things that we, you know, can do to keep ourselves from destroying it. That's right. And we can't rely on Bruce Willis to to save no, the planet. No, he's he's got gigs that he's doing at bars. That's I mean, right. he, he just can't expect to to get him at the drop of a hat. So, hey, we have some uh, listener mail. Let's bring it. Let's do it. We have one here. Uh, both of these relate to our um, our recent podcast uh, about uh, music rebuilding the mind. Yeah. Where we talk about the connection uh, you know, uh, between music and our brains and what's going on when we listen to music or, or you know, partake of any kind of musical exercise. We've received a lot back from people on that, uh, and especially when it comes to earworms. So uh, Justin writes us, and he says... Uh, uh, hey guys, I just uh, discovered your podcast a couple of days ago, and your literal blow the mind episode about people's heads blowing up yeah. was fantastic. Since then, I've listened to almost a dozen more, and I just listened to listen to your podcast on music in the mind. As far as non-lyrical earworms, none of mine focus on what is being said. However, what is strange is the tone of the vocals is what gets stuck in my head. Uh, example: rushes closer to the heart. Yeah. You know this one. Yeah. How's it go? Um. I can't say like the words, but I can do the tongue. Okay. Okay. That that wasn't. Do you know what I'm saying? So there we we just got him again. If you were listening there, um, Justin, Um, he says uh, when the song. (laughs) He says when the song floats back, it is never the actual content, but instead the sounds of the vocal. Exactly, like you couldn't remember the the words offhand. Yeah. You could remember the. The, the, the and this is no slight to Rush, but I kind of feel like I could use that example for every single one of their songs. <laughs> Just that's that one little melody there. Uh, and then uh, Justin also added, P.S. I did a neat undergrad collateral study um, on the uh, the predicators of crime and found that a that states 
a state's uh, power energy usage and uh, and how each state voted, Republican or Democrat, were uh, correlated to crime, amongst other things. Huh. Uh, so he reckon, recommends we look into that for a possible future episode. That sounds pretty cool. Uh, and then I have another email here, and uh, this one's pretty cool, too. This is from uh, a listener by the name of Gabriel. And Gabriel got a big uh, kick out of the term auditory cheesecake and uh, thought it uh, uh, sounded delicious. Uh, but he also pointed out, uh, quote, By the way, if there's an earworm that's bugging you, there's a little site called www.unhearit, that's U-N-H-E-A-R-I-T.com. That will replace a song that's, that's been peanut buttered on your brain by mm. peanut buttering another song mm-hmm. onto your cranium. Give that a try next time Poker Face Rears Its Ugly Head. Um, and, uh, and I actually checked this out. And it seems to work. It's kind of dangerous. It's kind of like playing Russian roulette with yeah. sometimes bad songs. Like I, I just, you know, you can click through it, and each time it'll bring up a uh, a SoundCloud file with a particular song. Uh, and uh, and I actually I did not have an earworm earlier today when I checked it out, but it did get some sort of like I don't even know what it was, but some sort of little electronic tune was momentarily caught in my head. But you could conceivably replace Poker Face with. Uh, Whoop, there it is, if you're not Ooh. careful. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a dicey prospect, because right now I have got my seasonal earworm going on, which is simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Oh. Thanks a lot, Paul McCartney. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'd have to kind of go there and see if, if, if it was... If I, mean, I can't imagine a worse earworm, though, than Paul McCartney's well, simply having a wonderful Christmas time. So I guess <laughs> the bets are pretty good in well, my favor. Thinking of whoop, there it is. It does remind me. And, I, and I, I'm not trying to make light of mental illness here, but uh, I once went to a local grocery store, and it was at night, and it was one of these grocery stores that's, and it's a big, big grocery store, and it's kind of like everybody goes there. It's like you'll see hipsters there, you'll see, um, but you'll also see people that are down on their luck. And uh, this one particular gentleman who was, I think, a little down on his luck seemed to only be able to speak the words whoop, there it is. Like he was just constantly saying whoop, there it is. Wow. And then when uh, when people would, like a guy came up to you know ask him something, you know, before he entered the store, he was like responding, like in a conversational tone, but the only words coming out were whoop, there it is. Oh, okay. I thought at first that you meant that he was sort of like capping his thoughts with whoop, there it is. No, no. Like that was the only, were the only words he was saying. Like he was just kind of walking going whoop, there it is, whoop, there it is. And then like somebody talks to him and he's like whoop, there it is, whoop, there it is. Like that was... That was the only way he could converse. Just different inflections. Yeah, different inflections. So that's fascinating. It was it was really fascinating. Whoop, and there it is. I, I, it's like it was. Is this like the terminal? This is what happens if you cannot get an earworm out of your head. Yeah. Probably not. Uh, it was, there was probably a lot a lot of other stuff going on there, but it was so weird that this was the one song that ended up being his. You know, all that he was. It's too bad you couldn't have introduced him to the the uh, other. Yeah, yeah, if you found about that website, it yeah. could have saved him uh, a lot of hassle. Gosh. And speaking of websites, you can check us out on two particular websites, uh, that being uh, Facebook or Twitter. We are below the mind on both of those. Uh, oh, and also, we do have an excellent uh, article on the main site uh, about solar sails, how solar sails work. So just drop drop that into the search bar, and you'll find a, a really you know, it's it's really good oversight of just how all this works. If, so if anything that I told you kind of threw you, then uh, go there and, and it should uh, clear any questions up. Yeah, and if you have any questions or comments about hobos and uh, solar sales, drop us a line at belowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. 
the How Stuff Works iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.